You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Ah, good morning. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thanksgiving. All of those things. Man, it is good to be here. I got to tell you, I do have a brief history with the church from way back before anyone. I think I met one gentleman in between services that was, that's been here through every phase. Been here, was that you too? All right. All right. So there's been some, a lot of movement over the years. I'm, I'm not even a blip. I was just a, a brief, brief moment. Uh, but this has been a, a church that's been here for many years and so thankful for that. And uh, you guys have been supporters of our mission in Egypt for a number of years. I want to say thank you for that. Uh, but I also know that this has been faith promise. I think Sunday may have already happened. Or, Man, I'll tell you, we're going to get to the word in a minute. But the world is not what it used to be. Things have changed. I look at the flags hanging above your heads and even these flags are a bit of an antiquated idea of the globe because culture has blended and melted together. Uh, when we first moved to Cairo, Egypt, you, you would find a McDonald's uh, and maybe a spattering of a, a Western coffee shop, but you couldn't really find any Western expressions of life and, and food. And, but 10 years later, as we were leaving Cairo, we had a Krispy Kreme across the street from us, Starbucks, uh, McDonald's, everything. They were decorating for Christmas. Uh, there were so many things that had changed. Globalization is sweeping the world. Uh, in fact, we had planted uh, an international church in Cairo, and we had planted uh, multicultural churches, but we'd also planted indigenous churches. So we had Egyptians that were in our life that we had trained to plant churches, and they had gone into some really remote parts of Egypt and planted churches. And it was going fantastic, and one day they called me up and said, Hey, Pastor, we really need to meet and talk about some, some problems that we're facing. I said, Absolutely. So I got all of my Egyptian brothers together so that those that were just starting could learn from those who had already planted churches. And they started sharing these ideas and things that they were facing, and I kept thinking, Man, this feels an awful lot like the West. So I said, Hey, I want everybody to do me a favor. These are, these are men from some very remote, poor parts of Egypt to people that are, were more raised in the Western ideas of, of Cairo. I said, I want everybody to put your phones on the table. So everybody takes their cell phones out, and we all put our phones on the table. And some, some of them had money. Some of them were really poor. So you had really nice iPhones, and you had phones that were like broken screens. And it, the, the phones really reflected the, the variety of uh, status of the men that were in the room. I said, let's all turn our phones on. I want to look at something. So everybody turned their phones on. Everyone had Facebook, Instagram. Some of them had TikTok. Some of the old guys didn't. They all had YouTube and they all had Netflix. And that's what it hit me. The world is starting to meld together in ideas of life, expression, and culture. We can't just simply say we will send missionaries to people. God is now sending people to us. And we have to be ready and we have to be willing to reach our neighbor no matter where they're from or what language they speak or what culture uh, they are a part of. 
I was just in Traverse City, Michigan a couple of weeks ago, sitting with Pastor Kerry Waldy and talking about how diverse his church is becoming and how they've had uh, Iraqis and they have Ukrainian refugees and people coming to their church in Traverse City, Michigan. We can no longer just look at the world and say, that's the way you do things and this is the way we do things. Globalization is sweeping the world and it is creating an opportunity for us to bring the kingdom concept of culture to the world. But it really depends on us. And so I want to say, faith promise is critical. It's critical not just for sending missionaries, but it's also critical for your hearts and your hands to get into the mix of what God is doing all over the world. And we had served in Egypt for 10 years, and just recently, and Pastor had mentioned this, uh, as recent as actually last month, we were asked uh, by AGWM leadership in Europe if my family would be willing to move to Vienna, Austria, to pastor a church called Vienna Christian Center. And I know that some of you may remember you had a missionary here just recently, David Wentling, who has a ministry there, and he's reaching uh, Iranians. Vienna Christian Center is the expression that I was just talking about. It's a church made up of multiple nationalities. In fact, at our installation service just a month ago, there was 2,000 people there, and there was over almost 100 different nationalities among that 2,000 people. Our worship team had 12 different nationalities. Our, worship, our, our uh, prayer partners that were working in the altars had to speak upwards of 16 languages just to be able to minister to the people that were coming forward at the end of the service. This is what is happening around the world. Everybody is starting to mix and move across borders. They're ignoring them as refugees. They're ignoring them seeking asylum. Some of them are moving for education and job opportunities. But the point is for us, and I don't really care what the reasons are. I don't need to know why somebody has moved to another country or another culture. All I know is as a servant of Jesus, I need to be ready and willing to impact that person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to continue to give, continue to pray. Like never before, this is the time that the church must come together and touch the nations with the gospel through faithfulness right here in Grand Haven and beyond. Amen? So keep up the good work, and we just want to say thank you for all that you've done for us. If you want to know more about our mission, we have prayer cards out in the lobby on the different tables. Uh, you can see how to pray for us on the back, but also on the front there's a scan code. You can scan that if you want to join the mission through financial giving, or if you want to be connected through the newsletter, we can get you on our list, and you can start receiving our information as we send it out via email. Amen? All right, so the real reason I came here, I love talking about all that, but I really love to get into the Word of God. That's my favorite thing in the world to do. So, we're just getting over Thanksgiving. It's been a crazy weekend, but tomorrow we go back to work, so I know that mornings like this, sometimes our minds can drift, we're tired, we're emotionally a bit spent. Uh, so what we want to do is just let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, let's ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Ask Him to come into your heart and your mind right now so that you can receive the Word of God. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself.
He is clothed with a white robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 19 is the prophecy of the second return of Jesus. The prophecy is just a fancy way of saying the promise of God. God promises us that these events will take place. And this is a beautiful picture of Jesus coming out of heaven on a white horse. And those that are riding behind him are the people in this room. Our future is found in that passage of scripture. When you die and you go to heaven because you have Jesus Christ in your heart, there will be a time where you will put on a white robe and you will climb on top of a horse and you will ride behind Jesus down into the nations. This event that I just read to you is our true north. It's why we gather, it's why we pray, it's why we read, it's why we witness, it's why we give. It's why we talk about missions, it's why we talk about our community. It's all about the return of Jesus to the earth. It is our great hope. It is our true north. So it's important for us, every once in a while, to check our calibration. Is our hearts, is our life, is our giving, is our ministry, is it pointed towards this event? Are we really in track and in harmony with God on his promises and his prophecies of the future? Are they just things that we read about? Are they just parts of the Bible we don't understand? Or are we truly fastened ourselves to the true north of God? In Matthew 24, Jesus says it'll be like the days of Noah. And Peter writes about Noah. So I often do this in my life. And this morning I'm going to bring you with me. Let's examine the relationship between God and Noah and let's check our calibration this morning. So starting with the end of Revelation, let's go back to the beginning, which is Genesis. In Genesis chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please. And I'm listening for pages turning, and I just really wish that when they invent these Bible apps, they would add page sounds. And the pastors would get all happy and feel like you're really connected. Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. It says this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man from I, for I have created from the face of the land, from the man to animals to creeping things and birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. That's a sobering passage of scripture for a room that's likely filled with people who have been saved by Jesus. That the one who just a couple chapters before beautifully created the earth and man in his own image put life in the body created woman from him 
is now speaking about his sorry and his sadness and how his perfect justice is to wipe man from the face of the earth. That he would even wipe out the animals and all the creeping things on the ground that everything must be blotted out. It's a sobering passage of scripture for us. And one that we far too often quickly skip past because we're looking for the proverb that'll help us through the day or the psalm to to say to our neighbor. It's important for us to remember that God had a moment that he regretted making us. But he didn't wipe us out. We are here. We did accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. He did rescue man. Why? It's in verse 8, the very next verse. But Noah, not but a people, not but a group, but Noah, one man, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. says in chapter 7, verse 1 of Genesis that Noah was righteous. So everything that was going on in the face of the earth, continual evil always on the minds, hearts, and actions of all humans. Think about that. Think about the disaster of that. And God says, I'm going to wipe them out, and then he sees one. And he says, wait, there's one over there. He's righteous. There's one who is righteous. And God stops. And he allows man to continue to exist. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So Noah just wasn't a guy who wasn't going along with the crowd. Noah wasn't a guy who just went home on a Friday night. Noah just wasn't a guy who would try and think on good things. Noah was a guy who shared the good way. Noah was a guy who went to the people who weren't living righteous and said there's another way to live. There's a better way to live. We need to give God the worship he is worthy of. That's what God saw. And when God saw that, he stopped and said, no, we're going to invest all our love and all our mercy and all our patience into that one guy, and that one guy is going to save the human race. It's a powerful idea to think that sin is why God was going to end it all, but righteousness is why he did not. So sin is not more powerful than righteousness and we cannot outsin God's love for us. So what if? Just what if? What if tomorrow morning, every person in this room, from pastor on over, woke up and said, I denounce Christ. I'm not doing this. I'm going to live for me now. I'm going to grab my moments. I'm going to do it my way. What if the entire planet, 8 billion people, woke up tomorrow morning and said, I'm done. I denounce Christ. 
And that generation of 8 billion people raised another generation not teaching them about Jesus. And what if that generation woke up and didn't tell their generation after them about Jesus because they didn't know about Jesus. And we had an entire planet that was two generations from even knowing who Jesus Christ was. Would that be the event that would bring about Revelation chapter 19? Would it take that much sin and that much uh, ignorance of who Christ is to bring back Jesus Christ in Revelation 19? Is that what must happen? My answer to that is apparently not. Because God had that. He had that in the time of Noah where everyone was continually on evil. But there was one man who was righteous. And God put everything into that one man, and that one man is all God needed to keep going. And Noah is dead, but there's one man who is always righteous that will never die. His name is Jesus. Our blessed hope is more than the rapture of the church. Our blessed hope is the fact that the entire world could turn on God, and Jesus will still advocate for the salvation of the human race. So our true north, the return of Jesus, apparently a tidal wave of sin on the planet earth will not manipulate God to release the return of Jesus. So what is it then? Let's keep reading. Still in Genesis chapter 6, still talking about God and Noah. Let's pick it up in verse 14. It says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. The breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to one cubic from the top. Set the door on the side of the ark. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah. You shall enter that ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind and the animals after their kind and every creeping thing on the ground of its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you... Take for yourself some of the food, which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and that shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded. This is kind of a passage of Scripture we just kind of don't read. Because, why? Unless you're going to build a replica of ark down in the Bible Belt, why do you need to study how big the ark was? This is the kind of stuff we skip. But this is incredibly interesting. Why? It's just teaching us something about God. God actually told him exactly where to put the window. He told him that the ark should go on the side, not on the front, not on the back, put it on the side. God has given Noah every kind of detail he would need to build this ark. God loves details. Think about this building that was built just a few years ago. Somebody decided on every detail. 
the color, the seats. I'm even seeing this trim line that goes on an arc across the front to depict the altar. Somebody decided that. Somebody decided that the front of this and the facade should be that color and that kind of trim and the screen should go there and the flag should go there and what the background, I'm, I'm guessing this was a lot of debate. I've been staring at this thing and I'm like, I, I bet you there was a lot of, what should we put on the back of the wall? I, I know somebody in here was like, oh yeah, there was some debate over the colors that we chose for the sanctuary. How big should the actual sound booth area be? But there's one detail God left out of here that's very surprising to me as a human. It's the most important detail of all. And there's one detail that God left out of here that had to drive Noah absolutely insane. Timeline. Kind of important. Just for me to be here today, I got emails from the church. This is what time the church starts. This is what time the second church starts. This is how much time you have to preach. This is what time you need to be here. This is what time you can leave. In fact, where are you driving from here before you get here? And then I'm here. I got a clock on the wall. I got a clock up here. I got a sermon outline. I got an outline for the service. It has everything that everything that's going to happen. I know what everything has to happen just for me to be here to speak to you for a few minutes. We went through that much time planning. We're talking about the destruction of the earth. No timeline. And if I'm knowing, I'm thinking, okay, the responsibility of this thing not sinking, the responsibility of this saving the human race is all on me, God, and you tell me all this, do I need to work seven days a week, 15 hours a day? Should I take part of that time, invest in training others? Do I have 10 years, 20 years, 100 years? God, what are we working with here? Nothing. Think about it. Every single person I'm looking at has got a mechanism to engage your time just right here in this room. Nobody started their day today without looking at a clock. We can't get through a service without that kind of list of time because we're humans. We're talking about the salvation of the human race. No timeline. It's very peculiar to me. First Peter 3.20 says this, When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. I used to wonder, what was God doing while Noah was down there building this boat? Was he counting sins? Was he counting days? Did he show up and say, hey, Noah, you know what? You're not working hard enough. Get it going. Ten years now or water's coming. Not once. We have no recording of God ever visiting Noah. We know where the window was. We even know how big it was. One cubit from the top. But we don't know when God's coming. It's a fascinating piece of scripture. This tells us what God was doing. Peter writes, God was patient during the construction of the ark, waiting for it to be complete. 
Turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 7. It says this, But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8, But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Every single week, Pastor Ben takes the platform, he's written a message, and there's at least one thing that Pastor Ben wants you to leave with. Guaranteed, at least one thing. When I prepared this message, I knew there was one thing, at least one thing that I didn't want this congregation to miss. I even talked to God about it. Peter is giving us his. Of everything Peter did and everything Peter wrote, right here in verse 8, he's giving us his one thing that he doesn't want us to miss. If we are the people that are going to be in white robes on horses riding behind Jesus, and that's really going to be you, Peter's saying, pay attention. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. In other words, there is no time with God. I want you to think about how different one day is from 1,000 years. One day is like 1,000 years. In other words, that's not the factor. Listen to the next thing he says. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. Again, we look at time and we're saying this is slow. That's human. That's not divine. And Peter's like, don't look at how much time has passed and call it slow. You're making a mistake. That's what he's saying. A thousand years is one day. It doesn't matter. It's all the same to God. So he's removing our human nature from us. He's saying, don't, don't get into the counting. Don't get into the time. But get this part. He says, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God's patience was with Noah, but not about Noah. If, if God would have looked at Noah and said, get it done in 10 years or the water's coming, and Noah doesn't get it done because he's never built an ark before. The water comes, everybody dies except Noah. Why? Because he's righteous. Noah goes to heaven, everybody else is lost. God said, the point of the ark, Noah, is that you and your wife and your sons and, his, and their wives are all going to live. Peter says it was eight people. So God says, my patience is with you for them. If you're in this room and you see yourself on a white horse behind Jesus, God's patience is with you for them. Peter said, God's will is not, he doesn't want anyone to perish. Noah just had eight in the animals. God's looking at us saying, your responsibility is everyone. He is not willing that any would perish. God is patient. 
Patience is not like waiting. Patience transcends waiting. It's immeasurable. It's a being. It can't be hurried. It can't be delayed. When God looks at you and says, I'm patient with you, he's saying, you can never outslow me. You can never outsin me. You can never wear me down. Your lack cannot manipulate me. My word is my bond. And when I say I'm waiting, nothing stops that. So Noah's like, okay, that takes the pressure off. Let's go to work. God supernaturally laid the plans for the ark. God supernaturally brought the animals. God supernaturally closed the ark door. God supernaturally flooded the earth. God supernaturally restored the earth. But God did not supernaturally build the ark. He could have sent angels to build it in a day. But he left it to Noah because that was Noah's worship. And it made him the man he needed to be to survive after the water. Righteousness spared Noah from the flood, but it did not spare him from the labor. This is our worship. I want you to get that picture of Noah in your mind. Bruised and sore with torn flesh and broken bones, with tar matted in his beard and his hair. Year after year, decade after decade, he toiled away. That was his worship. That is our worship. And we're not excused because we have the righteousness of Christ. Our true north is we build. Worship team, if you could come. We've looked at prophecy this morning, things that haven't happened yet. We looked at Genesis, which was the beginning of it all. We looked at God's relationship with saints. And we've looked at the apostles' early early writings. But there's one more thing we have to look at this morning to really make this something true for all of us. And that's Jesus. My dad always taught me, if you can find it in the Old Testament, New Testament, good. But you got to find it in what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 24 is an important verse, important chapter for all of us. If you envision yourself riding on a white horse behind Jesus as he's coming down to the earth for the second time, this is an incredibly important chapter for you. Matthew chapter 24 is a tough day. It was the day that they were with Jesus and they were having a meal together. And they didn't realize that it would be their last with him. And at that meal, they realized that one of their own, Judas, betraying, betraying Jesus. They didn't know how that would happen or what that would look like. But one of their own that walked with them and slept with them and did the ministry of two or more, I mean, they were there with Judas. And he's betraying Jesus. The heavy hearts of the disciples are with Jesus after that event. And leading up to that, Jesus had been talking different and things were feeling strange. And 
It picks up with Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's overlooking Jerusalem. And it says the disciples were sitting with them and they came to him and they sat privately. This is an important moment for them. Feeling really low and hearts really heavy, they probably snuggled in just a little bit closer to Jesus that day. And I've sat on the Mount of Olives and I kind of recreated this moment in my own mind and I was looking over Jerusalem and the disciples wouldn't have been sitting in front of him or they had rolled down the hill. No, they were sitting on either side and probably behind him and they were kind of moving up close and with everything that was going on, a question came. They would have said, Rabbi, teacher, Master, what is the end of the age? It's the signs of your coming. You know, Noah was surrounded with a lot of sin, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of turmoil. The disciples that day sitting with Jesus were surrounded by a lot of turmoil, a lot of betrayal. And the question that that brought about was the question of, when are you coming back? Matthew chapter 24 says that Jesus answered them. And he said, many will come in my name it will mislead many. See to it that you are not misled. There will be wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not afraid, for those things must take place. Jesus gave the disciples sitting on that mount two teachings. He said, one, don't be confused. Two, don't be afraid. There's never been a time in human history where the entire planet could be so easily confused and misled by the posting of a news article posting of a picture and if there was one word that would wrap up our generation over the last 22 years it would be the word terror and Jesus said to them they're going to be confused and they're going to be afraid but not you he said there's going to be wars there's going to be rumors of wars there's going to be famines there's going to be earthquakes but you know what Jesus said and I want you to read it for yourself you know what Jesus said to them that is not yet the end he didn't just tell them when the end was he told them when the end wasn't then he goes on to say it's just a merely just merely the beginning of birth pains for the women in this room that have given birth, that means something different to you than it does to me. What are the point, what's the point of birth pains? Birth pains cause the woman to stay focused and push. As the pregnancy goes on, the birth pains get stronger and they get closer together. And Jesus says, it's gonna get worse. They're gonna hate you. They're gonna persecute you. They're going to turn on you. People's love's going to grow cold. The birth pains are going to get worse. And they're going to get closer together. But that is not yet the end. And then I could just see it in my mind's eye. 
the disciples frantic in their minds, wondering what's Jesus talking about. And then we get to verse 14. Without preface, without transition, without any explanation, it's like Jesus' body changes, his voice flex changes, and he says to them, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. And then the end will come. So you could stop counting famines and you could stop counting earthquakes and you could start counting people. I don't believe that there's a tidal wave of sin that's going to bring Jesus back. And I don't believe there's a cosmic clock that's going to ring that's going to cause him to come out the gates. This is about Noah and God. This is about you and him. This is about us building the church because that's our true north. That's what we do. Every empty seat in this auditorium tells me that it is not yet the end. When I look across these nations and I think of how many churches have not been planted, how many people have not yet heard, how no one in some of these places have ever even been discipled tells me it is not yet the end. So the sin can rage and the fear can rage, and the wars can rage, and the starving people could beg, and Jesus isn't coming back until you and I build the ark. And they will fill that ark. This is about people. The righteousness of Christ does not excuse you from the empty seat next to you. This is not about 80 years and happily ever after. This is about 10,000 years and forevermore. God loved the nations so much that he sent his son to die for the nations. Not that they're worthy to be saved, but that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by them all. And that was what Jesus was talking about on the mount that day. church and there's going to be a generation that does not fear and there's a generation that will not be confused there will be a generation that will take the gospel to every nation tribe people and tongue and then the end will come Is it you or is it someone else? Is it me and you or is it our kids or is it their kids or their grandkids? Because God is patiently waiting for the right generation to say, we'll do it. He's not coming a second before that. And he's not coming a second after that. This is a project. And it's called the church. And it's about people. 
Give like never before, church. Pray like never before. Witness like never before. Preach like never before. Fill your tables, fill your living rooms with people to want the truth and need the truth. Don't just bring them to church, bring them home. I want you to just sit in this presence right now. I want you to just sit in this presence right now. I want you to be challenged right down to the core of your existence. People will be called to the mission field today. People will be called to local ministry today. People will be given ideas from the Holy Spirit to reach neighbors today. God's eye is on Grand Haven. He wants every soul who lives and every soul who visits. And I don't say this at every church, but I'm going to say this right now. This is my own personal study, my own personal belief. I really believe this. Because I've often wondered, why the animals? Why the animals? And I believe this. I believe the animals were a prophetic picture of every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. And God said to Noah, they will come to you. That's what he said. He says, you don't have to go get them. They will come to you and you will feed them. I told you about our mission in the beginning of this service. God is moving the people around the world to the gospel. Father, I pray right now for a life-altering, church-altering existence of God to enter this place every week, every day. God, I pray for the pastors. They would be filled fresh with the Holy Spirit, with new ideas of reaching neighbors. I pray for Pastor Ben and his family. God, I pray for a fresh anointing that would be like fire shut up in his bones. I pray for all the Noahs in this room that see themselves riding behind you, Jesus. Someday, I pray, God, that you would rewrite their futures in their minds today. sometimes you almost read over it because it's said so often but I always like to look at the the start whenever we talk about the end and, and that's uh, what Kurt did again this morning and one thing that sticks out to me the most is the first thing that God says is not good he says so many things are good he created it, it was good it was good it was good first thing he says is not good is it's not good for man to be alone that we're meant to be in community and we are in community and we're worshiping here, but we're going to go out into a lost, hurting and broken world where there are people who are alone. There are people who are isolated. There are people who are broken. And that's why we talk about here, reaching our ones, reaching one more. There's something really profound about that because they are alone. They are isolated. And that leads to the first command ever 
that God gave mankind. And sometimes we like to think it's that, you know, we should subdue every animal, uh, but there's a command that he gave to mankind before that, and it was be fruitful and multiply. And that same command was the first commands given to Noah after the flood. He said, let the animals be fruitful and multiply, and you and your family be fruitful and multiply. It's the same command that he gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that he would be a father of many nations, that he would be fruitful and multiply. And it's also the very last command that Jesus gave to us, that we would be fruitful and multiply. See, Jesus said, all authority in heaven, all authority in heaven has been given to me. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so that's on us today, to be people who are building the church one person at a time, not one brick at a time like this building, but one person, one life changed, one person out of isolation because it's not good for us to be alone. So let's just take a moment and close our eyes. And I know uh, Pastor Ben just a few weeks ago had us think of that one person. Just take a moment and pray for that one person, that one person that you don't want to see heaven without. Or maybe you just need to offer your life today and surrender that every person you walk into would feel the love of Jesus Lord, break our heart for what breaks yours. Lord, help us to see people like you see people. Just take a moment and pray for that person. Pray for yourself. Pray that you would be given the heart of God today. Yes, Lord. Let's make this song our song of surrender and our prayer today as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, I'm just reminded of the sermon series we finished on Exodus, Lord, this year. And first person ever mentioned in scripture filled with the Holy Spirit, a name that we so often forget, a name I had to look up this morning, that you filled Bezalel with your Holy Spirit and you gave him tools to equip him, skills to equip him to build your tabernacle, Lord. And Lord, you were with Noah as he built the ark. And Lord, you're with us as we build the church. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, that it gives us fruit, that we can become more like you. But Lord, we also thank you for your spirit, that it gives us gifts to equip us and empower us to reach a lost, hurting, and broken world. So Lord, we ask to be filled with your spirit today, Lord, for those who need to grow in fruits, Lord, that you would help us to become more loving, more encouraging, more patient, more gentle, 
become like you, Lord. But Lord, I also pray for those who need your gifts for empowerment as well, for mission as well, for words of wisdom, for knowledge, for a holy discernment, to be able to look at someone or a situation and speak whatever they're going through, to be able to pray for people and they would be healed. To be able to break the division of language, Lord. We need your spirit and we need you. Lord, fill us with the spirit to equip us to build your house. Lord, and we thank you that you have called us your church, that you have called us your hands and your feet, that we are the body of Christ. Lord, and let us feel the weight of that. That as you call us to go, we are going as your ambassadors. As we walk out these doors, we are your salt and light to a world that is in darkness, a world that is in pain, a world that is lost. And Lord, let us not be people that look with contempt, but with compassion. Lord, you are calling us to pick up our cross and follow after you and show your love, show your lordship to a lost, hurting, and broken world. So, Lord, we take that mantle upon us today, and we know that as we go, as your missionaries, as your ambassadors, as people who are just called to build, that you will be before us, that you will be behind us, that you will be all around us every single step of the way, and let uh, no word, nothing we say, go idle, especially in this holiday season. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you and we give you all the praise and glory and honor in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can we just thank Pastor Kurt one more time for sharing with us? Thank you so much. Man, you guys can go in the grace of God today. We look forward to seeing you tonight for church decorating, but we hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.